Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Tonight, while she's coming up here, tonight we're going to have a prayer meeting at our house. We were doing a teaching night, teaching series. But tonight, we're just going to have a prayer meeting from 6.30 to 7.30 at our house. At the end of the message, we'll put our address up there for anybody who wants to come. And um, I, I t- let me give you some context for this. We're not, we're having, yes, tomorrow is Halloween. We're not there necessarily to pray against things tomorrow. I want to change your concept of this a little bit. There are some things that we want to pray for, right? But remember that Jesus is the deliverer. We're going to pray for the salvation of our neighbors, the salvation of even those who would seek to do evil things on a day like Halloween or whatever it is. Keep in mind, those are still people. And we're going to pray that in the middle of their cursing, God interrupts them, meets them, and they get saved, right? So just a little bit of a different perspective on that. We're going to be praying for the salvation of those who would seek to do harm, protection against any harm that may come, but also pray for the salvation. Like, in other words, we're not praying in fear. We're not praying of, oh, God, we don't want anything bad to happen. We don't want our kids to get demonized if they trick-or-treated. That, that's not the object. The object is, God, we're using this opportunity to pray for the salvation of anybody who would seek to inflict harm. If God can cause Nebuchadnezzar to praise him, through the faithfulness of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if he can change the heart of a king that had persecuted Israel and take them all into captive, certainly he can change the heart of somebody that would intend to do harm on a day like that. So I will, about the, I, I don't want to take your time, sorry. It, it, uh, so we, uh, Dave and I were at a conference. Dave, I think he's dancing with the kids somewhere. Dave's leading, Dave and Steve are leaving our, leading our dance team. He's right there. There we go. Dave and Steve, an EOD and a Navy SEAL, lead our kids' dance team. That's my favorite thing about our church right now, and uh, they really do. Anyway, we were at a conference. I don't know if you were at this session. Um, I think you were with me. But there was a, um, a guy. His name's William Wood. He's one of the evangelists um, from Global Awakening where we're at. And he was telling this story. He said for 30 straight days he had a warlock that was astro-projecting into his house every night. Do you know what astro-projecting is? So under the New Age movement and witchcraft, it's essentially, do you know in the Bible where the Holy Spirit would translocate people from one place to another? Um, That happened a few times in the Bible where he literally just took somebody from one place and all of a sudden they showed up in somewhere else. It happened to Philip in the Holy Spirit, right? Well, demonic forces can do the same thing. And witches and warlocks sometimes astro-project themselves into different places in the world. It's, excuse the description, have you seen The Last Jedi? Star Wars reference, no Star Wars fans here. It's kind of what Luke Skywalker did, and like that was a copy of that where they are projecting themselves into different places, usually for the purpose of laying curses and doing spiritual harm. It's very real. Right? It actually happens. It's not in their imagination. They can project themselves into these different places. I know I'm losing a lot of you, and I don't care because you need to hear this stuff. It actually does happen. Okay? And so 
This warlock was astro-projecting himself into this guy's house for 30 straight days, pronouncing curses over him. And he said at this season in his life, he was experiencing sickness. He was experiencing all kinds of turmoil in the ministry, in his family. And he didn't know what to do about it. And he began just by like praying against all of the curses. That's a good thing to do, to pray against the curses, right? Like that's a logical thing to do. I'm going to break off the curse. I'm a child of God. And then suddenly God just changed his perspective on it. He said, and instead of just praying against the curses, he began to, when, when the guy was astro-projecting into his house, instead of just breaking off the curse, he said, I'm calling you into redemption, son of God. I'm calling you into the salvation that Jesus paid for you. There is still a man behind that. Even though you're using demonic forces, I call you out of that into the salvation and into the light. And, and then the thing left, Right? Because realizing it's still a person, he said the next day in the grocery store, he felt this like presence behind him. He turns around, and it's the real guy right in his face. And the guy didn't know it. He freaks out and runs away. He's like, how did that just happen, you know? And uh, I think he said the guy ended up giving his life to Jesus. And uh, I just thought, boy, as he's talking about a warlock astro projecting into his house, I'm already thinking, well, I know how to war against that in the spirit, and I know how to break all that. And he goes... I just shifted. Because ultimately, what's the thing that's going to break the curse? It's the cross. And when that person gets saved, not only am I breaking the curse off of me, but they're no longer cursing things, they're blessing it. Go read about Balaam in the Old Testament. You'll understand what I'm talking about. You can't curse what God's blessed, but imagine if you turn the curser into a blesser. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. Amen, amen. So thank you. It's just a great story, right? Uh, oh. Yeah. What I, what I was saying is I could hear is he EQs it, like some people's voices are just, just pitchy difference. And so thank you. Um, I actually really love that story. Uh, the, the counterfeit kingdom, the enemy just presents lots of counterfeit things. He uses the things that we were supposed to be given and have not stewarded. And so he put down and walked away from, and many even call evil things of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a whole counter kingdom, and they start using these gifts, but with the demonic empowerment and the demonic persuasions on these things, and then use the very things that we are called to do and use for the betterment of the kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom, and they're using it for their kingdom. John Ramirez was a Satanist, but is now a full-on evangelist and loves the Lord. Yesterday, I was watching him, his testimony with one of my sons, and he said this. I was like, yes. He goes, he goes... Um, these um, people who practice New Age and practice occultic things, they are very disciplined and they pray and they fast and they turn up to meetings all the time. They don't miss a thing. It's the commitment. They know. They know they're in a war. He said most Christians fail to even know we're in a war. And he said, and he said, and he said, they don't fast and they don't pray so that the devil just picks them off. And we see that. You're all in church today. 
But I'm pretty sure if you've been around the church world long enough, you've seen the enemy just pick people off. They start to isolate, and then, and then church, church attendance becomes, becomes optional, right? And the whole point is we keep doing this together because something corporate happens. Our lives grow together. We sharpen one another. We get great teaching, by the way. We get words of encouragement, prophetic words. We worship together. As we worship together, we are changed and made more like Jesus, and we're strengthened. That's why we meet together. And I just was like, that's right. It was a great refresher to hear him just say, Christians can't even pray for 30 minutes. And these people, they're up from midnight till seven in the morning and they don't stop praying. Dang. Jesus, forgive us. Really, right? Like, Jesus, forgive us. For the silly things that we let in, the silly divisions that we let in, the silly petty things we carry in our heart, the silly distractions, we allow ourselves to get distracted and then that distraction becomes a bigger appetite than the appetite for prayer or the appetite for worship or the appetite for God's presence. And when the football game, I'm just picking on football, it could be any, any entertainment. Detainment is the purpose of entertainment. Detain you from the things of God. All right? Ouch to all of us, though, right? Yeah. Anyway, not trying to be heavy, <laughs> but maybe that just needs to sit because we really are at war. We're at war. And the enemy kingdom, John Ramirez, again, he just said they are so highly organized. And I'm not talking about the organized structure of church that we need that and hierarchy within church. I mean, they are so highly organized and disciplined with their spiritual disciplines. And their spiritual life is very ordered and they learn and they're intentional to go again and again because they have demon spirits that will teach them how to do things. Um, another person's testimony I heard one time, they, taught, they said that um, a demon taught them how to literally go through a wall. That'll blow some minds away, won't it? But Jesus did it. So the things they're doing in the counterfeit kingdom are supposed to be things, not that we want to walk through walls, but, but the things that they're doing and the abilities that they're creating. Um, Hebrews 5, the very second to last and then last Bible verse says, have your senses exercised, like diligently exercise your spiritual senses. There should be intentionality and stewardship around the things that we're doing with God and not just um, skipping through our days. It's like a rat race, right? There is this treadmill of life that we just get on again, week, another week, another week, another year, another year, another, another lifetime. Instead of every day being very intentional with the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to grow in? What capacity, what area should I be pressing into? Is this some section of scripture I should be studying, a new topic or a new, new section of, yeah, maybe it's another book. God, like allow him to even um, determine what you're learning about. Because he's teacher, Holy Spirit, one of the names, capital T, teacher. And he will really bring you in by the hand and, and help you learn it all. He is our teacher. You, are, you have an anointing that is in you and it abides upon you and the anointing is real and it is not false and it will teach you all things that you need to know in the Holy Spirit. John said that, he wrote that. The anointing is real and it abides. The anointing is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, upon your life. It is real. More real than the enemy kingdom. More real than the physical stuff. Like you can sit on a chair and you know it's going to hold your weight up off the ground. You sit down, don't think about it. You know it's got you. Many of us don't want to know that, don't like think about God's got us even more than that. We doubt. We, we struggle with this. 
Did I really hear your voice? Did I really see that thing you wanted me to see? Should I pray for that person? Should I talk about the gospel? Do you want me to have that? Should I do this? And, and we doubt that. And so give away ourselves to other things, even other people. And that's a little bit what I'm talking about today. So there you go. I wasn't even trying to segue, but he's the smart one. <laughs> so, so thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I am talking a little bit about our personal authority, which we just give away to people too easily, too much, without a lot of wisdom. So there you go. He literally did that. As soon as I realized he did it, I was like, thank you. <laughs> um, for a couple of weeks, we've been talking about relationships and relational accountability and what, what the family of God should look like. Should, and there's a should. The family of God has a, um, he has uh, asked us to love one another. One of the key verses for this is a new command I give you from John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So that you must love one another, and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we're just going to pray on this, okay? And then we'll just start. So, God, you have asked us to love one another, and you've said, as I have loved you, so we should love one another. And we are asking for the ability to love. We want your love to touch our hearts so we are free and we are whole, so that, that your love can flow through us and love others the way you want us to love them. Not the way we think we should or we've been shown in the past, but the way you love us. Teach us and help us to love others the way you love us so that we really could be known as the people of God because the world needs to see people of God who know who you are and know who we are each other and live together very beautifully, comfortably, in unity with peace in the community and the family of God. Amen? Amen. I feel like I'm freight training, so I've got to stop. Slow down. Take a breath. There was a man in Australia and he was, when I, I was first ordained, like around 80, 97, um, um, I made a pastor in 1997. And there was a man and he was, his name was Andrew, uh, I can't remember his last name, but he ran the AOG, Assemblies of, thank you, Andrew Evans. He ran the Australian Assemblies of God. He was the most beautiful, humble, soft beautiful man, but he said this, and it just never left me, and I just did it here, which is why I'm using him as an example. He just said every time he gets into a pulpit to preach, talk, do whatever, he just sits there, and the first thing he does is does this. And he, and he does a big inhale, exhale. Kazuak, that's Hebrew for spirit. That's the spirit of God. He's breathing the spirit of God in. And even as he exhales, he wants the words to be the words of the Lord, right? Isn't that beautiful? Anyway, that was, he was a beautiful man. Get to see him in heaven. Um, okay. So we did talk last week. Clayton and I talked, we were for a few weeks, but last week specifically, Clayton and I talked about relationships and how, that, and the key thing was people should be safe with you. People need a safe place to land. We, we need to be so good at loving people that they know that their stuff is safe with us. They know we're not going to blab they know we're not going to go gossip. They know that we're not going to treat their heart and, and stomp on it just because we know all the stuff about them now, right? So we need to be safe people. But today what I really want to talk about is what happens when a not safe person turns up into your world. 
Like, what do you do when a person is, you really want to love. Like, we are called to love. It's, we, we don't get away from this. We are called to love. We don't, we don't get to say, no, I, I don't love that person over there, because actually the Bible says that if I do not love a brother or sister, I'm actually a liar, because I can't say I love my father in heaven, but do not love my brother and sister here on earth. He calls me a liar. So we don't get the option to not love. But this is where people get a little bit mixed up. Love and trust are not the same thing. Say that. Love and trust are not the same thing. And that's really true, right? Um, um, Very often in the church world, you'll hear things, uh, and it gets preached all the time. Well, if you love, even not just the church world, outside the church world too. If you love me, you do this. Well, that's not loving. This is loving over here. And, and you shouldn't, you're a Christian, so shouldn't you just be all accepting and love everybody? Well, the answer to that is yes. I do love. Freely, I love. Freely, I will give, right? And to keep my heart in a place where I can continually keep loving, I'll also keep forgiving the things that people do when they do show up into my world, right? And that helps me be very free so I can keep loving, Because loving people, the way I'm loving people is really how I'm showing whether I love God or not, right? And so my responsibility is to keep my heart free. I keep forgiving people. Offenses will happen because you just were in a broken world. So my job is I keep forgiving people. I keep letting stuff go because when I do that, I'm very clean, clear vessel and I can keep loving. No matter who it is, even the worst of a kind of a person, but actually I don't, you know, you know, I don't know how you all feel even politically. Like, I, my heart is actually really breaking for a man like Joe Biden. There's a heart, there's a brokenness, right? Because God loves him. So we, we've got to be able to be free. And that, that side, that aspect of us, that, that hinges upon our ability to just keep forgiving and keep forgiving. But that does not automatically, in the equation, mean that I just give away trust, a kiss and make up and pretend like nothing's ever happened. Because to do that, my life is just a broken down wall. To do that, I'm a person without boundaries. To do that, I'm a person that just is going to let anybody come and abuse me at any time and take everything they want at any time. And Jesus said, well, if someone takes a coat, uh, you know, um, take, takes, you know, what did he say? <laughs> I have all these moments, don't I, in front of you. It's all right. Um, he's like, um, give your cloak as well. Like, go the extra mile. You know, he, so he is, the, he is saying love does go the extra mile. But Jesus himself had really very good boundaries on the relationships. And so because one verse in a context of, well, Jesus said even go further, go further with the person or give him a cloak off your back as well, right? That doesn't negate that Jesus also had really good boundaries and he had a truth, the tr- he is truth, but he had a truth that he lived by then and he wouldn't let certain people come in and rob him of the strength and the call and the destiny and his dignity, He still lived by this thing, right? It was rock solid on the inside of him. So we're going to use this Bible verse as as the starter. It's from Proverbs 23, 28. It's just a key verse for what I'm talking about today. From the NIV, it reads like this. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a person whose life lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down or broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And this is where it really hinges upon for us. In the Bible in um, Galatians 5.20, 21 actually is the 
the self-control word. It is, um, we, we, are, we are the fruit of the Spirit, right? There's nine fruit. One of the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. But whether it's the Old Testament word or the New Testament word, both mean the same thing. It is my ability to have my own spirit, my own self in check, my self-restraint, mastery over myself. That means I'm aware of, I'm, I'm, I'm not, we're not perfect at this. I'm going to be talking today. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Like, but we all are on journey, right? And, but our ability to become more self-aware of our habits, more self-aware of how we interact with people, more self-aware of, of what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Am I just the one blabbing all the time and I don't, you know, actually we have one mouth and two ears so that we do twice the listening. <laughs> I love that, right? Like, like, you know, if people turn up into your world and if there's, if there's not any mastery over their own life, they'll just like blab and be all over you and not even give you the dignity of saying, well, how are you doing today, right? And so some of this, some of this the self-control issues are becoming aware of the habits that I live with, becoming aware of, uh, of and then, by the way, the person who's coming into your world, are they also, is there a self-control that they're operating through or are they just running all over your boundaries and not respecting your boundaries? Because a city with a wall around about it has boundaries, there's a fence around it. There's also an invisible fence around your life. The invisible fence around about your life is protecting your soul. And you need to know where your soul ends and the next person starts. Because when people don't know where their soul starts, ends, and the next person starts and ends... That's when all kinds of witchcraft and manipulation creep in in relationships and idolatry, like the self, the codependency type situations with people, and the and the relationship idolatry situations, creep in because we haven't known the the boundaries that I should be having around about my life that protect my soul, and 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 not to keep people out. It's not to keep people out. It's to protect what is mine and protect the strength and protect the self-control so that people can't abuse and so that people can't take for granted. Because if people keep abusing and keep, if I, if I let this happen in me, if I keep letting people take and take and take and I don't, I'm not careful to have very secure boundaries and a very good no, sometimes I leave myself wide open to becoming abused to becoming someone who ever, people who don't have their own boundaries intact will run all over. And then I'll wonder why I'm hurting and I'm in pain and I'm emotional wreck. Does that make sense? My front door keeps thieves out. Like my front door on my house keeps people on the street, they can walk past my house, I'll wave at them. But I don't let people into my house who I don't know I'll want to meet you first, and then when I meet you, I start to let you into my lounge room, and you're welcome into our family. In that sense, you can eat at the kitchen table, and there's the openness for relationship as we start to get to know one another, right? But you're not coming into my bedroom, and so even in a house, you understand there's walls, like invisible boundaries around certain aspects relationally that we do life with people. And so boundaries communicate to a person, you can come this far and no more. And it's not an unhealthy thing to have a boundary. It's not an unloving thing to have a boundary. It is a very healthy thing. It shows that you are walking into a really good self-mastery, that how you have self-control on your life. And the self-control is so that you can keep building strength 
and having your own life being made healed and whole in the Lord, you're increasing your own capacity for his love so your strength is growing so that you have the ability to give out. Because when I don't have any walls, I don't have the ability to increase and grow. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the capacity to mentally even be able to to think about growing because I'm wondering why there's all these abusers over here taking advantage of me all the time. Or maybe I'm the abuser and I'm just don't, an abuser doesn't respect the boundaries either. They don't respect the boundaries or they have none themselves, right? And so the whole point of us doing life in community is to be able to have these kinds of conversations so that we are very aware of, of our own heart, our own motivations in relationship. And that awareness is really important. What's my motivation in, in relationship with any of you, actually? It's to love you and give anything that I have to you from the Lord so that your life is set up for incredible success in him and that you start running for him and, and don't stop. That's my motivation. But I know that at times I have to say no to things, even when they're good, from you to do that. And here's one. I really don't do anything with people earlier than 11 o'clock in the morning. If I do it a little earlier, I did this week with one person, but um, if I do it a little earlier, it's very rare. But I, until 11 and sometimes 12, that's my time. I don't, I, my kids even know. Like I rarely get off my couch as I just sit with the Lord and I just read the scriptures and go through stuff and just sit with him and it's my time to process with him and get the download from him that he wants and, and daily. And, um, and, my, my <laughs> it's, and it's like, I have a busy household, right? But I know that I just, so, so I, don't, I say to people, yeah, after 11, and probably a lot of you know, yeah, she, I've got that text from her. <laughs> after 11. Um, and I don't make any apologies for that. That's a value that I've decided that I'm going to live by because it keeps my heart in a place that is healthy. And you don't want someone who's not healthy leading a church, right? So um, the boundaries that you'll start to recognize that you already have or maybe some new ones that you want to set up into your life, are going, you're going to start to realize what they're going to be uh, defined by is the values that you want to live by. So you really have to know what your values are. Like, what, 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 what do I want most in life? What are the values that I'm aiming at? What, are, what do I want to accomplish this week, next year? And, and there'll be all, you know, the values might change based upon week to week, year to year. And that's okay. Boundaries, they, they can move and change. And they can even move and change, you know, as you get married, you bring another person in. And, and I said a boundary protects your soul. But, you know, when I'm married to someone... Now I have a soul tie with this person that is God-designed to bring incredible life into both of us. It's something to feed us, right? But, but that's the marriage relationship, and that's a good God-ordained soul tie. If I don't know boundaries and I don't have boundaries intact in my life, I will start creating soul ties with all kinds of people, sometimes knowingly through the sexual relationship because I've got no boundary on that. Or sometimes just because I've given away my own personal authority. And by giving away my own personal authority, I've, I start to create a soul tie and a bond to people. A, a, it might be a person. Can be, By the way, this can be like mother-to-daughter relationship, right? 
So it's not, it crosses every kind of like close people, not so close people, church leader. So th- these, these tight, these close bonds are the things that we really want to be very careful of. And not, you, you, we are never to give away our personal authority to another person. It's to be yielded before the Lord and allow him to define who you are, him to speak into your identity, him to be able to say, this is what I want for your life, this is who I've called you to be, this is, who I've, this is the church I've called you to, to, to be part of, because he sets in uh, Psalm 68, says he sets the lonely in family, he has a family ordained for every believer. And if, we, if our lives are really coming into line with who he is, then we have the confidence to be able to say, these are the boundaries around about my life. And I can do this really confidently now because I've heard from heaven, who am I? My identity. I know who I am. I'm the Lord's. And he's got this plan and purpose for my life. And these boundaries around about my life are going to help me achieve what he has purposed me for on the planet. And without the boundaries, I can't do that. I'm going to read this because this is my own definition and I really like it. Trust, because I'm saying, I'm saying um, there's a difference between love and forgiveness and trust, right? This is it. Trust is a reliance on or a confidence in the integrity, strength, and ability of a person. And these are reasons in the opposite that we have for distrusting a person, right? So if trust is the reliance or the confidence or the integrity of a person, their consistency, their turn up, they turn up. I know they turn up, right? So they've built a track record of trust with me, right? That's, that's how you start to learn trust with a person. When the person has not turned up or when they've turned up, they've abused or they've lied to you or they've caused harm and caused pain and keep taking advantage, that's a reason to not trust at all. And that's a reason to really assert a boundary so that people can't come through and can't come to and take from you what they, they're thieving, really. So they can't take from you what you sh- you're not trying to give to them. We've got to be able to rightly see people and say, I need to have a boundary with this person. And it is not unloving to say that, even though much of the church might say that. I'm going to use some scripture so you go, what's she talking about? Matthew 7, 7 and Luke 6, 37 say the same thing. They say this, do not judge And so anything that I've been talking to you about right now, if there's alarm bells and you're like, wait, wait, does that mean I've got to start judging people? I've been told in my life not to judge people and we shouldn't judge because that's bad. Well, let's look at it, the context. So Matthew 7, 7, the context of Matthew 7, 7 is judging in the context of hypocrisy. It says this, do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. I actually, if I'm turning up into a person's life with truth and they receive that as judgment, I'm actually okay that they've received it as judgment if it's truth from scriptural truth. And I'm not being strong or overly bearing, not loving or not graceful with it. This truth has grace and love in it, but truth still is hard sometimes, hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. And, and the person says, don't judge me. I'm like, I'm not. This is just scripture, Right? Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your own brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And these little pieces of scripture have to do with hypocrisy, critical Critical judging, the hypocrisy of critically judging of, of you yourself, unwilling to come into line with truth, have no authority to turn around and tell someone else what truth is. But if you have come into line with truth and there is truly repentance in your heart and a freedom there, you do have the authority to speak that truth from the word of God. It's the hypocrite who is not living by the word of God, who's not willing to, not willing to repent, has habits that are unrenewed and wants them that should not be the one running around the church world trying to wield scripture. It's the hypocrisy. The Greek word for a hypocrisy is hypocrites. Like, like uh, crete is K-R-I-T. It means judge. Is they falsely judge. Hippo, hypo. Falsely judge. And it also means this, to wear a mask. They're mask wearers. They're pretending to be someone who they're not. But if you, are who, who, if you have someone who's just come into great alignment with who Jesus is and willingly, continually for the rest of your life to do that, right, then, then the word of God is, is like a sharp sword in your hand and you have the ability to use it in a way that brings freedom and brings truth and brings life. John, uh, John 8.32 says that, Jesus said that um, truth makes a person free. And we have this thing, the scriptures, and we're supposed to yield it, wield it, wield it, yield it, yield to it, then wield it. There you go. <laughs> it's one liner I just came up with. <laughs> um, wield, uh, yield to it, which is actually true and right, right? But then you can wield it. Because if you haven't yielded, your wielding is only going to wound someone else and it's nothing more than manipulation and hypocrisy. That's what the Bible's saying here. Okay, the Luke section, Luke 6.37, where it says, do not judge. It says, do not judge, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And it says this, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running out all over, and it will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That section there on do not judge or you too will be judged has to do with the sowing and reaping principle. If I am judging rightly, I will receive righteous judgment into my life. And I welcome that. The righteous judgment of the Lord brings purity into me. It purifies me. And that might be painful sometimes because I might have to give up a few things. But I welcome that into my life. If I'm a hypocritical judge as someone else, I will reap that into my life. There's a sowing and a reaping. Now, with that, holding that in your minds, going to read another piece of scripture. Oop, I'll find it. Matthew, this is back to the boundaries and why we really do need to rightly judge. Krino or krito is the Greek word, it's rightly Rightly, with righteousness, we do judge. We do look for a track record of repentance and trust and truth and for people to be walking in ways that is honouring of other people. We don't just have these broken down walls in our life allowing anybody to come in and use and abuse us and speak things to us and take from us. 
we do look for a track record that we can trust. We want to be generous people, right? We can only be generous people if we have first got these uh, boundaries working in a way that is very healthy and making me strong so I have something to give. If I'm not strong, I have nothing to give. The boundaries matter. Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. This is the answer when, when, when someone says, don't judge me. Jesus said you can't judge me. This is the answer. Matthew said, these are, you know, it'll be in red if you have Bible with red writing. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. <gasps> do you hear that often? Or do you just hear that? Don't judge me. I feel attacked. I feel judged by you. Because you're just asserting a boundary. Right? And Jesus is literally saying, point out their fault. But this is, this is the kicker. We've spent weeks saying, you just be very careful with people's hearts. We want to guard hearts. We want to give people permission to fail and fall over. But when there's repentance, we're going to give them the permission to grow up into Christ. There's a, there's, we're going to look for the fruit of repentance in their life. We're going to look for the willingness to walk into this thing called this being a, becoming a disciple, right? But they've got to build that trust again. If there's been hurt, if there's been pace, um, pain, if they've been people who have really taken others for granted. We really do want to give people the opportunity to walk out of that stuff. But this is the thing, is point out their fault just between the two of you. Do not gossip around the church around about it. Gossip, Jesus literally puts gossip in the same category as murder. That's a boundary. I want that boundary over my mouth. Because I want this to be really devoted. It says, go and point out that fault. If, you, if, if, if they listen to you, you have won them over. And, and, and hopefully there's great repentance. But then it says, um, but if they will not listen, take one or two brothers along so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, listen to this. Tell it to the church. And if they refuse even in front of the church, treat them as you would a tax collector or a pagan. In the synagogue, that means they were put out of the fellowship. Everyone can take a big deep breath in. <sighs> Jesus wasn't playing games. Like it's pretty serious to him. Right? So we do look for the fruit of repentance in a life. When we do want to help people into wholeness and we do want to help people into freedom when we want them to stop being abusers of other people and we want them to themselves understand what good healthy lives are and what it means to be a person who can guard their own strength and guard their own mouth and guard their own heart and guard their own thinking so as the bible says that whatever happens inside here which is my heart determines the whole issues of my life right and so if I am careful to guard all of this and I'm careful just to keep yielding it to the Lord and keep yielding it to the Lord and some of this is hard work because the hard work is sometimes we don't want to repent of the things he's asking us to repent of but he still asks us to do it and it's for our own good if we get that understanding then we'd walk into really great wholeness a lot quicker a lot of more freedom a lot more quicker quicker 
Yeah. I'm going to read a few more Bible verses on this because it is important. This has to do with, you know, sometimes you have to have, in the, in the context of church family, again, we're asking people, love one another as Christ loved you. You know, we're supposed to, I'm supposed to love you like Christ loved me, and you're supposed to love me like, like Christ loved you, right? So here's a, here's a couple of examples, actually. Jesus had his disciples, the 12, Right? And there was always a lot more people. It was usually easily like 20 to 30, sometimes as much as 100, that would just travel with him all over the place. Women and men, by the way. But he had his 12, even amongst the greater. He had his 12, but then he had his three, Peter, James, and John. And then even in the three, he just had John as the closest, the beloved, right? So if Jesus it was okay to say no sometimes, because he had to say no to the great crowd and even the 12 and he only brought three Peter James and John up onto that mountain when they saw him transfigure so even Jesus had some boundaries I don't know why he had the boundaries on that that day but he did say to those three men coming back down the mountain do not say a word to this to anyone not even the other nine why I don't know the why, but I do know that was Jesus asserting a boundary. <laughs> why? I don't yet know. I studied that passage quite a bit on it because I'm like, that's, you know, anyway, for another day. Um, Jesus' own immediate family in Mark chapter 3. It's actually also in, uh, in a couple of the Gospels. Mark chapter 3. Um, when he began his ministry, early in his ministry life, the rumors started going around and traveling back to his hometown and his own family members, including his mother, turned up to where he was ministering in another town saying, we think he's gone insane. We think we're going to come and take him home. <laughs> and there's crowds, right? Crowds around about the building. People can't get in. So someone runs in and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they're asking you to come out. They want to take you home. They think you're insane. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, he just answered, this is his mother. And he said, who are my brothers and my brothers and my sisters? He said, those that do the will of God. And he put a boundary that day on his own immediate family. And that is not saying he doesn't love them. That's just saying, you don't even understand what I'm called here on the planet to do. So for now, I have to keep you at a little bit of a distance. Imagine having to do that to Mary. That's, that's, he had to put a boundary on his own mum who later at the cross, you know, he's on his dying breath saying to John, John, my mother's right there, could you take care of her? Because John was his number one bestie, right? And he literally said, the one that he loved, the dearest, closest to him, would you take care of my mother, the one I love, also the dearest and the closest? So that person he still had to put a boundary on and had to keep a bit of a distance so that he could fulfill the call of God on his life. If Jesus had to do it, I'm not saying go do this with everybody in your world right now and hold out people that you just don't like. That would be a wrong use of the boundaries, right? The boundaries are to protect you so that you can keep giving, so that you can keep loving, that you can keep showing mercy, and you give people opportunity all the time. Um, um, Jesus called, he wouldn't let a man like um, Herod near him. He called Herod a fox. 
So that was a big distance between him. And the religious leaders, he gave the religious leaders quite a few opportunities. He was eating at the, the house of um, um, Simon, one of the Pharisees, when another wo- a woman came in inappropriately and started washing his feet with her hair and crying tears on her feet. So he, 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 was, he was open to these people having relationship with them. When he had to push them away was when they would not repent. When he had to push them away was when they started accusing him of things. If they were unwilling to relent and repent, recognizing him as the king of heaven, and, and instead they got concerned about religious authority and, you know, oh my gosh, he's going to upset all of our system. And that, you know, centralized their political religious power around about their lives. That's when he said, no, nah, I can't do this. We're done. We're done. A we're done is sometimes needed. It should not be permanent with a person in the world. Always, the we're done is until I see some fruit of repentance. If I see fruit of repentance, then you are right back welcome. If you're sincere. With the sincerity of the fruit of repentance, there will become a track record of trust that will start to be rebuilt in a person's life. And we always want to give people opportunity for that. We always want to give people the opportunity to um, um, oh, have a piece of your heart. Uh, I think it's the last two verses in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, the last two verses, Paul says... Um, it's, earlier he says, I, you know, don't say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. It's later, it's like the, the cap couple of verses at the bottom of that where he says, see, see I am yours, Apollos is yours, uh, um, so, so all are yours. Don't you know that all are yours, all things are yours, which actually is the context is all people are mine. Like, you're mine, <laughs> you're my people. No, I, I want to have that ability to have all of my people into my heart, close, able to have beautiful relationship, right? The openness, the honesty, the, the, because when we, when we can do life like that, we really sharpen one another. We go deeper together. God wants us to go so deep in him, but we find out the deep in him often is, is we learning how to do that as we're going deep with people too. Because if all we have is all of these shallow relationships around about us, it's actually only a reflection of a shallow relationship between me and God. I think I'm done. I have a whole lot more, but I'm, I'm just done, done. Going to let that sit. Thank you, Jesus. I will read this last, I'm running through all the scripture that I have. <laughs> I'll read this, Galatians 6. One, the last verse. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently, but watch out for yourselves so that you are not tempted. It's, it's a very good way just to end this message, right? Because I've been talking earlier about the hypocritical judging. We want to help one another be, just run with everything we have with Jesus, right? And in our, our journey together 
as we're even helping one another. If we just watch out for myself so that I'm not tempted. Like watch out for myself, check myself so that I'm also not tempted or, or any kind of poisons allowed into me or any kind of resentments allowed into me or any kind of unforgiveness that I hold on to. I love this scripture. Uh, uh, this is where I'm finishing. So uh, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> like, like you just, he just spoke it. So um, we, on, the last, on the last supper, he's talking with his, with his, with his disciples and, he, and he's with them and he's washing their feet and having conversations and they spent time praying together. This is the last night before he's arrested. One of the things that he says is in John 14 and it's verse 30. And it says, okay, but we've got to be done now because here comes my enemy and he has nothing in me. In. See, on the inside of us all, the enemy seeks to put little things and hooks and poisons and roots of bitterness and roots of upset and frustrations and anxieties and he seeks entrance into our life. That's why this whole thing is gates. We have gates into our soul. And if we are not careful, we can allow through these gates little things and the enemy will just get little hooks in you that later an entity, demon, or demons, unfriendly entities, unwanted friends, right, will come and they have something to hook onto your life and it gives them legal access. So the bitterness or the unforgiveness gives demons legal access into your life. And if people wonder why sometimes they struggle with anxieties and frustrations and, and by the way, strife, like quarreling and bitter strife and the unsettling here is because one of the Greek words is a phronio. It means phronio from your diaphragm. Like that's where we get the same word, right? Um, uh, there, is, there is an unsettling and the anxiety word for it means to be torn apart right here at the diaphragm level. And it all happens because we just have these hooks and things that the enemy gets into us through relationships with people. Because he knows if he can put, have like seed resentment into us and seed unforgiveness into us, or if, if we haven't learned to have healthy boundaries, or we have people trying to overrun our boundaries all the time, it just causes all of this relational chaos that's back and forth constantly, and I'm torn apart. Like literally, that's where the word anxiety in the Greek, to be torn apart. And God doesn't want us living like that. 98% of all anxiety is spiritual in root. 98%. And medical doctors who prescribe medications on a daily basis are the ones who say that. But they still medicate people instead of getting them healed, delivered, whatever's needed, both often, most of the time, <laughs> both. And it all has to do with we just have not known who we are, known who God is, known how to have healthy boundaries in place. It's really very simple. God has made it very, very simple. We can say no to people if it means saying yes to the good things that God wants to bring into your life. You, you, you're supposed to say no to some things when it means saying yes to doing and allowing God to bring his best. There's a lot of good is often the enemy of God's thing for you, Right? And there's a lot of good things. And you'll have friends talk you into all of the good things. You should do this with me. I think, I see you doing this. La, 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 la. If it's not God saying that, don't start to try and pretend and align the stars. People do that and then wonder why things go south. And it's because they just didn't have good boundaries. 
They were listening too much to the outside voices, let people in through the gates that should never have been there. And those people directed their lives. Personal authority was given away to a person rather than giving it over to Jesus. Wrong soul ties. No, I'm pointing to Clayton. There's, there's a right, that's a right soul tie. He's a leader. <laughs> right, wrong soul tie because I have this leader and don't you know I owe everything to them. You don't owe anything to any leader. The leader's there to give to you everything. The leader's there to serve you so that you stand up and you get up and you run for Jesus. You, none of you owe me anything. I would hope that you all just get up and run for Jesus with everything you have. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Amen. We'll pray on that, okay? Jesus, Jesus, we just want to have nothing in us. We want to have nothing in us. I'm going to, I won't pray fast. I'm going to just take a moment, okay? I do pray, Holy Spirit, that um, right now that you would highlight into hearts and minds right now where people are, um, if, they've, if they have hooks, if they have stuff in them, where you have... Uh, they've given over pieces of themselves and allowed enemy access. They've literally given legal right for, tyranny, for tyrannizing, legal right for oppression, oppression. Highlight that in people so they can repent, they can forgive, they can renounce, whatever it might be. I pray, Lord God, that there'd be such openness. And I do, I pray right now for surrender. I pray for quick, willing hearts and surrendered hearts right now to this, that there'd be a letting go of a person, a letting go of a situation, a letting go of an old a church leader or a recent church leader, that a quick letting go, a quick letting go, a quick letting go, a forgiving of a person, a renouncing of a thing, a saying, Lord, I'm sorry for carrying that in a wrong way. I pray even now, like, let it go, let it go let it go and as people yield that off I pray exhale right let it out like let it out and I pray Jesus fill fill people with your love fill people with the Holy Spirit I even pray that there'd be a real baptism of this of, of love like people would feel love come on the inside I do just pray God people would feel you always have something to give us in exchange and it is more of yourself and so as people have just yielded off stuff I pray, fill them, God, fill them, God, fill them, God, moving on the inside. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you for beautiful children too. That's not, I want you to stay in the room. Don't think that disturbs us, okay? Please. God, I just pray also for wisdom and revelation from the Holy Spirit for people and from the Word of God. So we have the Word of God, who is Jesus, the Word of God itself, the Scriptures, and we have the Holy Spirit as our number one teachers and directors of our life. Through the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit, I pray that people would learn to know what right boundaries they are to have in their lives. God, by prophetic revelation and wisdom, give people the, the confidence and the know-how and the knowledge on what boundaries they need, where the yeses need to be uh, said and where the noes need to be said and that there'd be confidence to assert the noes, real confidence in a good way to assert the noes, understanding that it's actually helping the person they're saying no to. It's help because maybe that person's never run into a boundary before.
so I love that. That's good. It's all good. It's like smooth jazz. <laughs> it's a nice bit of saxophone. Um, I do, I pray that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. The Bible, James wrote that you just don't have wisdom because you don't ask for it. So start asking. <laughs> ask, ask, ask him. Show me what boundaries I need to have with different people. Because with some people, you'll not need a boundary because they already very well manage their own stuff. And you'll never have to do anything or say anything. There's just a very great mutual respect. And you, and, and you know it. There's a dignity. And they give you dignity. And you never have to do or say anything. Right? Other people, you might have to just go, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this this week, but then not again for a little while. I need some space. And that's okay. Are you okay? Okay. Yeah, so I do. I just bless that. I do bless just wisdom, revelation from the Holy Spirit. God, I pray people would have a hunger for the Word of God more than they do for food. And I pray they'd start to learn to really feed upon you, Jesus. You are the best food. You are the best food. There's nothing like you, Jesus. And so I pray that hunger over people here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.